All right, well, this is going to be session number five of me trying to get towards faith toward God. Okay? We were talking about the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. I just want to finish us. Uh, I'm going to read quickly through this particular outline, the rest of it, so that I can get to this little next lesson, so I can actually talk a little bit about faith for a moment. So I'm just going to read where I left off. Where I left off is where I quoted Acts 4.13 where it said, Now when they saw the boldness and the unfettered eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained in the schools, common men with no advantages, they marveled. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Can I just submit to you that being with Jesus causes your life to become a bit different? Really? These men walked in the reverence of the Lord. They were living sacrifices. Their very lives demonstrated their reverence for God. That is faith. Reverence for God produces character. And the test of true character is not what you do in public, but what you think about when you're all alone. I'll say that again in case you don't have the outline. Reverence for God produces character. The test of true character, the test of who you really are, basically, is what you think about when you're all alone, what you give yourself, give most of your thinking, your mind to. Like I was taught years ago, personality is who you say you are. Character is who you really are. When, you get, when people become very elderly, you know, one of the things that's either wonderful or frightening is when you go to what, what I don't know what they call them here, but a rest home in America, an old, old folks' home. When people get to the end of their days, this is the one striking thing you'll notice. All personality is gone. And what remains is what they really are. That's why it's frightening sometimes to go in and see some of these little sweet-looking little ladies that do nothing but swear all day long. Because that's their character that they've actually had. That's what's in their heart. Because all the facades go when you get to the end, and only what's in your spirit surfaces. And yet you go to some, and you'll see, you know, that these little old men, little ladies, they have the most, I mean, the greatest gentility in their eyes, the sensitivity. I, I've always loved old folk, elderly. I mean, I'm, I'm getting to be pretty, <laughs> won't, won't be too long before I'm probably, <laughs> whatever. But I mean, all my life, I've always, my daughter feels the same. We always, I've always gravitated. I've always just sat with old folk when I was very young. I just always, I don't know, I had something that was, maybe birthed in me by my parents or something. I come from a farm family, very, very, very close-knit family. But, I mean, we just had great respect for, the, for our elders. I grew up with great respect for my elders. And I would just sit and listen because I so respected the fact that they'd lived so long and that they'd learned and they'd experienced so much more than I ever had. And I think in our Western society, you know, we would, it's too bad we can't adopt a lot more of some of the Latin societies and how they do. Indeed, they so reverence the family and, uh, it, you know, some of the, our cultures here just have no respect whatsoever for what it means. And, of course, in Bible terms, that was a very important issue, wasn't it? To look after your parents, and no matter what their age was and so on. But anyhow, personality and character. See, what we need in ministry is people that have character, not personality. What we need in churches, what we're trying to produce, what the Word of God, if you'll continue to sit under the Word of God long enough, it will begin to produce character. In, you. in other words, you won't bow down to your personal wants and needs consistently. You'll begin to develop character. We need character. You need to be able to know character so that you can recognize character in others. Because again, who you align yourself, you need to be able to recognize character so you know who you run with. You don't want to run with people that just have a good look about them. Again, that's why we keep saying you need to see what they really are and know who they really are. And this is what God does. See, God looks for character, doesn't he? God looks for character. He looks for fruit that abides. And character is something that's proven over time. There's another statement that we used to make. You know, fame can come in a moment, but, but greatness comes with longevity. And see, what we're looking for is people that are in it for the long haul, the long run. You know what I mean? There are a lot of ministries that are like fireworks. They go up into the air, boom, all kinds of great fireworks. And just everybody goes, wow, look at that. But just as quickly as they're up, a lot of them fade away. Because a lot of what this is, again, it's not what you do in the spectacular moments. It's how you handle the mundane, mediocre days, you know, that begins to produce character. Because every day isn't camp meeting. You know what I mean? 
So anyhow, reverence for God produces character. The test of true character is not what you do in public, but what you think about when you're all alone. It's what you do when you're alone that determines if you'll win or lose. I don't know if you know this. I've got another deep, heavy Rebbe. This is another one of Anderson's heavy Rebbe's. Ready for a heavy revelation? Every single person in this room has 24 hours a day. Isn't that deep? You want to write that down? And I've got another heavy revelation for you. Every single one of you in here make time for what you want to do. Don't you? Don't you? So we know what our gods are by what we make time for, don't we? Don't we? Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also, kind of a thing. Right? I just thought I'd lay that out there for you. But uh, so, see, it's very difficult to make excuses because God's given everyone of us 24 hours. And if you say you're too busy, always remember what Proverbs says in the Living Bible. It says that reverence for God adds hours to days. You'll get more done after a prayer than you could have ever done without prayer. I'll have to look it up. It's in the Living Bible. But reverence for God adds hours to days. The more you fear God, the more your time, the more you're able to get done. It's just an incredible thing. John Wesley said something once years ago. He said, I have so much to do this day, it must needs be that I pray three times longer. Interesting, huh? Anyhow, oh well. Reverencing God means making correct choices. Learn to do something very simple. I was taught by Dr. Lester Summerall a simple statement years ago. He said, just, boy, he looked at me in the face and said, reverence the right and reject the wrong. Just learn to reverence the right and reject the wrong. These men, these apostles, walked in power. They weren't truce makers, but they were peacemakers. There's a big difference because only true peace, true peace only comes through actual victory. Nowhere in the Bible does God say that you make a truce with your enemies. He said, annihilate them. Really. You're to come against them and destroy them. And uh, your enemies can be, I'm talking about like the depression, the things, the things that would come against you. You have to actually understand these things will subtly kill you. And faith is something that you need to begin to employ. And again, like I said, all of this, just, I'm just talking about, you know, all I'm talking about is having a relationship with God. How many of you know that's all I'm trying to say? In other words, not just, not just a Sunday go to meet and stuff. And we all know 2 Timothy 1.7 in the Amplified says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. Did he? I don't know about you, but the spirit I have is not a spirit of timidity. That's not what God gave me. That's not what God gave you. God did not give you a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, or of a craving and cringing and fawning fear. But I'll tell you what he has given us. He's given us a spirit that is of power, that is of love, and that is of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. That's what it says in the Amplified. He's given us a spirit of power and love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. That's something you need to speak out every morning. The opposite of reverence, of course, the actual biblical reverence for God is, is, is fear, cowardice, and timidity. A better word here is attitude. This is not what God wants. In other words, God does not want you to carry about with you an attitude of timidity and call it humility. Timidity is not humility. True godly humility produces boldness, not passivity. Because again, it's not what you do. You don't think about yourself. You're so busy thinking about God that you begin to not allow the devil to talk down to you. That's why I said what real godly reverence does is it produces a life where you bow very low before God, but you stand up very tall before anything of the devil. And you say, I won't take it. I won't lie down for it. <clears throat> fear, if left to linger, will destroy your faith. And that's where we came with this old statement. If you'll feed your faith, you'll starve your doubts to death. If you'll feed your faith, you'll, star you'll starve your doubts to death. When you're under pressure is when you find out about your true self because pressure always magnifies a situation. And the difference between men who succeed and fail is found in their ability to handle pressure. Okay? So you have to learn how to handle pressure. You can't keep running from it. You have to handle it because that's the difference between men who succeed and men who fail. Whoops, I almost stuck myself in the eye. 
Reverencing God is to say, my God is greater. Through him I shall do valiantly. If I reverence the things of God, I will succeed. If I reverence the things of this world, I will have fear, which will produce torment and defeat. 1 Samuel 2.30, Samuel said this, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I has, this is what God said when Samuel was dealing with some people, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me will I honor. But those that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. In other words, if we'll begin to honor God in our life and give, you know, honor God with the first fruit of our day, I mean, even when it comes again to offerings and stuff, people, you know, I still, it amazes me that people in particular, like I said, in this nation, what they do in a lot of nations, you know, they still argue the whole principle of whether or not they should tithe or not. And really, when you study the Bible, tithing is really about the honor of God. I mean, if you'd look at, you know, everybody's looking for an excuse to get away from something. And it's so crazy because it's so simple. If it's God's, it's God's. And tithing is just a matter of returning unto him what's his in the first place. But it's also a matter of honor. You honor God with the first fruits of all your increase. So shall your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And we still have churches everywhere. You know that the average statistic in this nation is that only 14% of the congregation tithes. That means, the that means that pastors have to build a church on 86% on of the congregation being unfaithful people. It's pretty tough. So that's pretty tough because the Bible says, like I just quoted, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why leaders do look because if people's finances aren't in their churches, guess what else isn't there? Their heart. Well, so that means, in other words, they're just taking up a space in a seat. They're not, their hearts aren't involved. And until your heart's engaged, there's no power coming back to you. I just thought I'd throw that out. But see, all these things, are they're, they're, they're just simple truths that, you know, you have to... Part of the reverence of God is to honor him. We need to honor God in all these areas. And quit saying, well, somebody wants my money. See, if you just forget it, if there was no such thing as a church building ever, God still is. Do you understand that? God still is. If there was never a church building, never a preacher, never anybody on television, never anybody that stood up here, you still have a word that's in a Bible, and it still says, honor God with the first fruits of your increase. So forget about the guy that you, have ups, that you have a problem with who doesn't talk in the tone you like him to tone in. Just would you reverence God and see that God needs you to, God needs to see if you actually believe he is who he says he is. And if you do believe he is who he says he is, you'll find a way to honor him with the first fruits of all your increase. So it's up to you where you want to take it. But honor God. Because otherwise you dishonor him. And if you lightly esteem him, he'll lightly esteem you. That's not wisdom. <laughs> it's not wisdom. I know you guys are getting ready to eat ham for lunch. I saw the menu. <laughs> Psalm 25, verse 12 through 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. He will show them the deep secret meanings of his covenant. Being blessed of the Lord comes from fearing him, not mentally trying to achieve belief, not a faith formula. Now, I've got several verses here, but because of time, I don't want to read them. They're just all familiar verses about the fear of the Lord. Psalm 111, 5. Psalm 112, verse 1. Psalm 115, 11, all of Psalm 128, Psalm 145, 19, and of course Proverbs 1, 7 says that the beginning, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Can, and that's, we all know that, but think about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, there is no wisdom. I don't care how many doctorates you have after your name and how many degrees you have posted in your office. If you have no fear of the Lord, you're not a wise individual. You're actually a fool, because a fool says in his heart there's no God. And then it's, uh, down here in, in Proverbs 19.23, it says, The reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord leads to life. Now listen to this. And he who has it shall rest satisfied. He cannot be visited with actual evil. What's well, a pretty fair promise. I said, that's a pretty fair promise. Now again, would you quit trying to talk yourself out of what it says and just say, if that's in the Bible, it must be true. Whether I've experienced, remember I keep saying, whether you or I have experienced this level is not the issue. Don't you, you know, like some people, it's all an attitude. Some people set their goals at 50 feet and they're happy when they get all of it. Wouldn't you rather set your goal for 50 miles and get half of it? You know what I'm trying to say? In other words, don't set standards so low. There is a truth. The scripture says that there's a place in God. In fact, there's, another, there's other verses that says that he who walks in the love of God, there'll be no occasion of stumbling in him. 
And whether or not you and I have ever achieved it, see, quit worrying about, well, who, nobody's ever done that. There's a place in God where you can reverence God so strongly that it says that no actual evil will befall you. At least that's what it says. Now, if you want to throw that scripture out, then you're going to have to throw the whole book out. But anyhow, that's there. So the fear of the Lord is powerful. Psalm, or Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility, I love this one. Psalm 22.4 in the Amplified. By humility, a correct understanding of who I am, and the fear of the Lord, the correct understanding of who God is, are riches, honor, and life. Hallelujah. In other words, if you have a correct understanding of who you are and a correct understanding of who God is and get the balance right, it says what that will produce is riches, honor, and life. So I put down on the bottom of this outline, be humble and you'll be blessed with riches and honor. Well, God wants to be humble. Great, then get humble and get blessed through reverencing Almighty God and bow before His mercy and goodness. And the final scripture I have on here is, of course, the last verse, one of the next to last verse of Ecclesiastes. And listen to this in the Amplified Bible. When Solomon finishes all of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, all has been heard. The end of the matter is fear God. Know that He is, revere Him, and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man, the full original purpose of His creation, the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all happiness, and the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and the whole duty for every man. Isn't that a heavy verse? I love England. Hmm. <laughs> it says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of all happiness. It says, the fear of the Lord is the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances under the sun. That's what it says. It says, the fear of the Lord is the whole duty of every man. So let's, like I said, receive the spirit of fear into our life, spirit of the fear of the Lord into our life, right? Amen? Okay, I'm done with that. Now turn to lesson three. <laughs> I just wanted to get into some of this basic thing. Like I said, all I can do is really, this is, lesson three is when I actually begin to introduce the actual teaching about how faith operates, or at least biblical faith. And so there's still issues here by why, and again, please understand, I can't carry this forward into everything. Like I said, if you come next year, we're going to start where we leave off, so that sounds clever, but that's how we do it so that we can continue to film. But I just put it here, why hasn't our faith been more effective in our relationship with Jesus? God has promised us that anything we find in His Word or His will is available to us through our faith. Now I'm going to recap and remember that in Ephesians 2.8 it says, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And do you remember that? For by grace are you saved, for by grace are you saved through faith. And so this is again where this kingdom dynamic comes in that I want you to hear fresh. Whatever God's grace has made available, faith must obtain. Really hear that. So why don't you just say it with me? Whatever grace has made available, faith must obtain. And again, we talk about the basic truth of salvation, and I asked the question of the day, is every single individual in this world potentially saved? In other words, has the sacrifice been made? Is it available? And the answer is, yeah, it's available. But are they saved? The answer is no. Why? Because even though it's available and it's literally in this room, the grace of God's in this room right now, isn't it? You had to move toward something that was already in place, and you had to do your part. God did his part, but then we had to do our part and move towards what was available and appropriate it to ourselves through a principle called faith. We talked about it last night in Romans 10. It says that Paul said, I bear Israel, uh, he said, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For going about to establish their own righteousness, they fail to submit themselves to the righteousness which is of God. For the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, do not say in your hearts, who shall ask Christ to come down from above or up from beneath, but what saith it? The word of faith is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth which we preach, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So what happens is the basic principle of faith is that you something, you heard the message, it goes on down to Romans 10, 17, remember, how shall they hear 
without a preacher. For faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of the Lord. So somebody preached a word to you, and you heard something that caused you to make a decision, because faith begins with the decision. And it caused you to make a decision to believe on something that you had no tangible evidence of in the natural. But you chose, nevertheless, to go with something that pricked your heart. And it wasn't, hopefully, just a clever thing, but you really, something pricked your heart and made you think, this stuff is real. I don't understand it all, but something, something, like one man says, quit calling the Holy Spirit something. You know, I had a hunch. Everybody calls him hunchy. You know, I'm, <laughs> I had a hunch that this was true, but nevertheless, that I believe that Jesus, I believe this stuff is real. Can't explain it all, but I believe in God, and I believe in His Son. I believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And what happened is you confessed it, and you spoke it to somebody. Remember how Jesus said, except, you know, if you don't confess me before people, I will not confess you before my Father. And confession brought ownership to it, and it brought accountability for it because you said it in front of people. And so you walked out of there, and even though you didn't, like I said, think immediately differently or look differently, you nevertheless started out by saying, well, I said the prayer, I'm saved. And hopefully, even though you don't wake up, does anybody here wake up some mornings and not feel saved? <laughs> I do. There are some mornings I wake up, and I quote-unquote don't feel very saved, but I don't live by what I feel. I know I'm saved because I know what God's done in my life. But I don't live by my feelings. So whatever grace is made available. So then again, you have to go through Scripture and ask you, well, what else is available? What else did Jesus Christ provide in grace? What happened when he came? What price did he pay? Like I said, whatever it is, you have to look at. But then the issue is you have to understand that even though it's available, it doesn't mean that you'll have it. Because the way you get it is you have to move through this thing called faith. And you do have to understand there's a spirit of faith. And you have to understand that faith does speak. And all of these things. Now, like I said, I've only got one shot here to go through this little bit here. So anyhow, Romans 10, 17 says, the more, the, So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord, word of God. The more you hear God's word in an area, the more opportunity you have for faith in that area. Faith is a release toward God that he will do what he said he will do. Now, I know you know this because we were taught it 20 years ago, but remember Romans 10, 17 says in the Greek, it's a multiple word there. It says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. What it does not say is it doesn't say that faith comes by having heard. Faith doesn't come by hearing something once. The word speaks of having to hear over and over and over again. That's why, again, dependent upon your situation, if you're in a serious situation, you need to take serious measures. You need to take scriptures and you need to, like I said, pump it and keep it in a place where you hear it over and over and over again because your ear is a spiritual gateway. Do you know even physiologically, I forget, like other doctors that I've talked with in the States or what have you, physiologically they have told me truly that it is true the last physical sense to go when a body dies is hearing. That's why some people are pronounced dead on a table and yet they come back to life and they can tell you things they heard even when they were pronounced, they heard what doctors said and they were able to relate what they heard said around the table after they'd been pronounced dead even if they're only dead for like, you know, a minute and 30 seconds. But all I'm getting at is there's something deeply spiritual about hearing. There's just something deeply spiritual about hearing. That's why, again, Jesus taught so much about take heed how you hear. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear determines the measure of virtue, not it comes back. So you have to guard your heart and you have to guard your hearing consistently. But that's why, again, one of the greatest investments you will ever, 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 ever make in your whole life is a very simple one is to buy the New Testament on tape. And put it in your car, and all that time, just keep it playing. Just keep it playing. God's Word is Spirit. Why don't you keep yourself surrounded with the Spirit of life? Have it playing. Have it on a loop. You can buy it on CDs now. Put it in the house. Just keep it in the background. And just let, and use your spiritual imagination and understand, just let the Spirit of God's Word just fill your house. You'll watch your atmosphere change. You can go about doing whatever you're doing, but just keep that going. Just keep it going. I keep it in my car constantly. And I just, you know, it's an old thing. I'm sure you've been taught many times, but we, we let this stuff slip. But it's because faith comes by hearing. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've been prone to depression or something, and then I get in the car, and just as soon as I turn it up, you know, and it just starts up, so I said to the Lord, and, and I, you know, I just, and I need to hear that. It just puts me right back in line, and it pulls me right back into place where I needed to be. But because my head was swimming with phone calls and this, that, and the other, and I'm just saying, it's not that you become super spiritual, it's just that you become spiritually aware. You know what I mean? It's just, but again, it's dependent upon how serious your situation is. Let me tell you, 
You know, when uh, there was a, a, Delta, a Delta Airlines flight went down in Dallas many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, and of the 223 people on board, uh, I think 150 of them lived, but they had third-degree burns over most of them, 100% of their bodies. And they had in this burn ward, and you can read this in Reader's Digest from the year after because it was an interesting little study. I may get some of the details wrong because it's been so long and I don't have it here to read. But basically, they had all these people in this burn ward, and they were giving them, um, you know, they were, did everything they could for them, and they had them on a drip, and they had them on like 2,000 calories a day. They were giving them just a normal amount of calories that they thought were enough. But these people were dying, and they thought at first they were dying from their injury of the burns, but really they discovered that they were dying because they were, they were dying, most of them were dying from starvation. And they couldn't figure out because they had all these burns. But what they found out that was though they were laying there sedentary in a position on, on drips and stuff like that, the war on the inside of the body was so strong fighting the battle against these burns that the body itself was using up all of these calories. And they had to triple the intake of calories for their bodies to have enough fuel to begin to fight this battle to begin to bring healing to these burns, right? Now, the lesson you learn from that is when you're in a real trial is not when you quit reading the Word, it's when you triple up or double up your intake. You know what I mean? In other words, when the pressure's on is not when you let stuff go, it's when you double it up, right? And, so, you know, and you don't get on a gossip prayer call, you know what I mean, and you know, find out 35 other people that sympathize with your problem. You just make a decision. And this is why it does become a very personal thing because, again, it's all dependent upon your personal situation. But the best thing you can do is get alone and begin to double the intake. Double the intake, triple the intake, quadruple the intake, whatever it takes. But just surround yourself with the spirit of faith and get the stuff in there. Again, like whether it be finances, whether it be healing, whatever, get those scriptures and surround yourself with them. Today, don't we? We have all kinds of, you can buy tapes that have nothing but healing scriptures on them. Can't you? And again, this is why people in the hospitals, it's funny the things that you learn to do about things like that, just how you hear, just the issue with an environment. See, about all of this, it's about protecting that environment. I said the other day how part of our vision is to have a prayer and a healing center ourselves, a residential situation where we can extricate people from their environments of unbelief and just keep them surrounded with, a, with an environment of faith. But, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how just what will happen, how when, if you'll just take those things and put them on, I mean, just leave it over and over again. I mean, I don't know how many people who've been fighting cancer have been healed like from listening to Dodie Osteen's testimony. Uh, and you'll get these testimonies because why? They engender faith. They go, well, wait a second. If God did it for one, he can do it for me. Because let me tell you, like I said, when you're fighting something, like a couple of people that I know in this room here that are fighting cancer right here, you know, it's not a shame. It's something that you wake up with and you go to bed with. It's, it's easy for somebody else to say hi to you and pray for you or something. But, but you, when you're all alone, you know, like the Bible, it talks about the midnight hour of the soul. You know what I mean? And the, the Bible speaks to those things when your soul enters into the iron. It talks of Israel to the point that while Israel had been taken out of bondage, from, this, from Babylon, it said that their soul had entered into the iron. In other words, it's one thing being bound, but it's another thing when your soul enters into the bondage. In other words, your soul has become one with the very bondage. You're not fighting it anymore because it's weighed on you for so long, it's worn you out. And I'm just saying that's why you have to like get these tapes or get whatever it works for you, but just surround yourself with the Word because faith comes by hearing. I mean, there's other things too. There's testimonies of guys. You know how the Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine? Can you remember those stories from a long time ago? There are guys that literally, that were dying of cancer in cancer wards, and they, and what, it's just funny. Well, it's not funny, but it was funny for them. And the way they got healed was people brought them all the old Laurel and Hardy films and Abbott and Costello films. And they started watching these films, and, what, and they got to laughing so much. And you, you know it's a physiological fact, isn't it? When you laugh, these endorphins are released, and all these things, the chemicals flow in your body that actually facilitate healing. But the big thing that happens is what happens? You get your mind off of it. You know what I mean? And see, we have to get our mind off of whatever our it is. And if we'll get our mind on him and off of whatever it is, something, you know, healing begins to flow, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's financial. I'm just saying you just need to understand hell's job is to distract you away from truth and life and get you to meditate on doubt and death. That's what I have to fight every day, and that's what you have to fight every day. So this is not big news, is it? <laughs> but you see, why don't we just do it then? 
Let's go get the stuff. How serious are you? See, put that stuff on. Put it in your car. Put it around your house at home. I mean, look at the influence it has on children. Have you ever seen the study done at Time Magazine 15 years ago on what was called hot house babies? You know what I'm talking about, hot house babies? They had this done. It was all over the news for a while where they took brand new infants. They got these families. They did a 15-year, excuse me, yeah, 15-year study on these families. They took children and they put them in cribs and they would surround them in their environment. They had one room for five years. They lived in this room in and out with their parents, but the room that they slept in, that they ate in, one room, they filled it. One crib was filled with the Encyclopedia Britannica only. That's all the children got to mess with. Another crib had nothing but musical instruments. And so on and so on. I don't remember all of them. But every single case, in every single case in that protected hothouse environment, the child, even if their parents didn't have the genetics towards music, the ones that were surrounded by instruments were given to music and began to show great expertise in music and song. Now, that's an incredible thing. And the people and these babies that were surrounded by Encyclopedia Britannicas began to show all and exhibit all this wisdom and intellect. But I'm just saying they learned the power of a protected environment. What do you think people do when they brainwash people? What do you think concentration camps did in World War II? Why men came out of that like they did is because they so protected an environment and they so gave them all this propaganda, they did their best to do what? To destroy their thought and their mind and their belief systems. Right? Well, I'm just saying, we have a Bible we can look at seven days a week if we want to that's got truth that's come from heaven. This is God's Word. This is not a man's private interpretation. Jesus said these words are spirit and life, and it's life unto them that find it, and it's health to all their flesh. You have a choice every day of your life to surround yourself with an environment that will produce either life or death. That's why Deuteronomy 30:19 said, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And he said, therefore, choose life so that thou and thy seed may live. In other words, that's powerful because your choices today affect your seed tomorrow. But think about that. You see, this is why we say God's made us all. We're all free moral agents. He's given us the right to choose. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God is a gentleman. He'll never force himself upon anybody. He offers you choices. But you always, it always amazes me, you know, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Can you just picture this table? There's a table sitting up here. And I've got this awesome porterhouse steak on this side. And I've got a can of butcher's prime tripe over here. Because <laughs> this little dog we have loves tripe. You know what I mean? And my sister, my daughter-in-law, and Anna and the rest of them, when I open those tins of food up, they go, they run out of the place. You know what I mean? But picture this. Lunch is going to be in a little bit, right? So here's what your choices are. Porterhouse steak and butcher's tripe. And you walk up to the table and go, which shall I choose? I mean, they're both edible. I mean, you'd go, duh. I mean, you know, it's like, surely there's no choice. But God sets before you life and death. And you go, let's think about this. <laughs> Blessing, cursing. Well, today's Thursday. Maybe I'll just change and have a little cursing. I mean, I know that's so silly, but think about how God sees things. I've, this is life. An endless supply of life. Cold, it says in Isaiah. Remember, I always laugh. How do you start? How, would you ever start a conversation like that, Margaret? Ho, you that are thirsty. Come to the waters and drink freely. Right? Remember Isaiah? Without cost. In these pages lies the solution and the answers to anything you will ever be confronted with. You hear me? That's incredible. That's incredible to me. I said that's incredible to me. Now, I was very honest with you the other night. Like I said, I know in my own life there are times I just don't do what I know to do. But the point is, it's here. I know where to go. But you have to make a decision to hide yourself. Now, if that be the case, and look in Hebrews 4, 
And why is, it says, I put, why are some healed and some not? Why are some baptized with the Holy Ghost and some not? Why are some people's needs met and some not? Well, Hebrews 4 gives us at least a hint. Now, can I say even before I read this, please, would you please be delivered from a spirit of condemnation? See, this is what happened when we first started teaching faith. People used to think that if something wasn't working in your life, what people did is they felt that they were being judged by their spirituality. In other words, well, if you're not healed, you must not be spiritual enough. And that's why people got turned off by it. Listen, whether you're healed or, or never healed has nothing to do with how much God loves you. And quite frankly, it really doesn't have much to do with how spiritual you are. But it does have something to do with how determined we are sometimes. But you see, how careful do we have to be? Because the last thing we ever want to do is say something that offends to a degree or upsets or makes people angry. But do you know that doctors have to give you medicine sometimes that does not taste good? It just doesn't taste good. There's a lot of things God gave me that I didn't want to taste because they didn't taste good. But once they got in me, they helped me. You know, I fought it all the way. I fought it all the way. I fought it all the way because it didn't look good. It made me mad. I felt stupid. You know, like I said, back there when they took all those tests on me a while back, I mean, forgive me for being so blunt in front of people, but I, like my wife says, she says, you'd tell people the color of your knickers. Forgive me, but I mean, even on TV, I shouldn't say that, but who cares? <laughs> I've just never been known for my subtlety, but I mean, you know, when they said to the guy, you know, do you think it's pleasant to go and have a barium enema? I'm sorry for being that blunt, but I mean, you know, you do some things that you have to do because you have to do it because they need to do some things to find out how, how to help you. You know what I mean? Well, I don't like doing stuff like that, and hopefully none of you race for the opportunity. <laughs> oh, let's go to the hospital. They're giving free, hmm. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the wacky people in L.A., you know, I've had a coffee one. Have you had a tea one? You know? And I'm from California, and I'm, they're weird, man. Uh, <laughs> Hebrews 4, I better get back to the scriptures. I can see people turning televisions off now. <laughs> I turned on this Christian channel, and the guy was talking about... Uh, uh. <laughs> Listen to the writer of Hebrews, who I personally believe was Paul. Not that that makes any difference. Verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still holds and is offered today, let us be afraid to distrust it, lest any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of reaching it. Verse 2, for indeed, we have had the glad tidings, the gospel of God proclaimed to us, just as truly as they, the Israelites of old, did when the good news of deliverance from bondage came to them. But here's the key. Listen. But the message they heard did not benefit them because it was not mixed with faith. But do not get angry with me. This is what I've had to do with me. The Amplified goes on to say, because it was not mixed with faith, with the leaning I always love, and the Amplified, it'll always have this little phrase in parentheses next to the word faith. The leaning of the entire personality on God in absolute trust and confidence in His power, goodness, and wisdom by those who heard it. Neither were they united in faith with the ones Joshua and Caleb who heard it. Verse 3 says, For we who have believed do enter that rest in accordance with his declaration that those who did not believe should not enter in, and so on. I mean, all of Hebrews is so powerful. So back again. So in the, NIV, in the King James, verse 2 says this, For unto us was the gospel preached. Listen. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. Now I call this, you see, if you have the outlines at the top of it, I call it unto us, unto them. Everybody say us. Us. Them. That's who churches are full of. <laughs> Serious. Us and them. Us and them. For unto us was the word preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit 
them. Why? Why? Now, so let's be, see, be, remember how I said the other day when I had to approach this stuff, I had to approach, the only way God began to work in my life is when I had to separate and divorce myself from my own personal experience, my personal situation, and my personal emotions. And God said, would you quit thinking about what you're experiencing, and would you just come to this and just see what it says for a while? Because, see, I'd see everything through the filter of my life. And God wanted me to see it through his expression first. Because I was so, because I'm going to tell you, as long as you look at it, but do you know how difficult that is? Because I want to tell you, your experience is a real experience. See, nobody can, it's real, isn't it? What you're going through is real. Like I said, it's fact. But see, God, I don't care how, in so many different ways, he's just had to get me to truth. He had to get me to that thing I keep saying. He had to get me to somehow understand uh, truth is heavier than fact. But it's not, he, but in my case, he said, but it's not to you yet. And see, he wanted it to be heavier to me. And I wish it happened overnight, but it just doesn't. You know, you have to work with it and work with it and work with it and, and labor that you might enter into the rest. But nevertheless, it's, but see, the thing is, it's there to enter into. Now, Jesus said in one place, he said, you know, that it's very difficult to build a house in a storm, but it can be done. That's why, you know, I'll be honest with you right from the beginning, many of us are having to play catch up. What I mean is, if we're honest, you see, what you, you need to learn about healing before you're sick. Seriously. Because once you're sick, then you're trying to catch up. And it's hard because then you're trying to build a house in a storm. You're already in a storm. Now, it can be done, but it's tough. And so this is where it is. A lot of us, though, they only, we only come to God once we're in the storm. But let's don't panic because, again, this is where God's grace and mercy will shine if he sees the determination in your heart. And, and again, see, even with that, I don't even like saying that because it's not like God's got this list of criteria that you have to meet before you're blessed. See, that's another thing that sometimes gets communicated when you teach this stuff. People think that you have to come up to par. And see, what you don't, and what we have to communicate, it's not a matter of coming up to par. This is a spiritual thing. It's just that God's doing his best to get the stuff through us. It's coming. You see, do you remember Daniel when that whole situation, praying, and the angel comes says, from the first day you prayed, your words were heard, and I've come, but I was withstood these, three, these 20 and 1 days by the prince of Persia. See, we really don't understand this is a spiritual thing. See, it's not that God is not willing, it's that there's a war in the heavenlies that's keeping you from obtaining what is actually God's will. A lot of people, well, people always say, well, if it's God's will, it would just happen. So where, where do you get that from? It's God's will that all men be saved and all men come to the knowledge of the truth. Are all men saved? No. Why? Because no matter what God's will is, see, it's, there's a part we have to play down here. But see, I so desperately, I, I feel funny when I teach this sometimes because I, I, I know some people always go out the door thinking, well, I guess I'm not spiritual then. And see, that's not what I want people to hear. I want them to have hope. I want them to know that even if you're in a storm, God can break through the storm. Jesus said, be still, and it was still. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, it's so, you know, just begin to dig, plant. Even though the winds are going to push hard, they're contrary winds. If you're in a storm, it's hard. Storms are not easy to navigate in, but you can. But that's why you need help. You need other people to pull on the rope with you. You know what I mean? You can't do it alone. You need other help. But having said all that, if you're not sick, this is a great time to learn about healing. If you're not broke, it's a great time to learn about money. It's tough to build a storm of, to try to build financial help, you know, when you're on the brink of bankruptcy because your mind is so entered into the issue. Like when you're fighting sickness, your mind has entered into, the, your, entered into the iron of the thing, and it's tough. See, there's a lot of reasons, what I'm trying to spit out in five more minutes, there's a lot of issues why things happen and why they don't happen, and why things happen quicker or don't happen quite as quick. But I'm just saying that if anything I finish up with, I just say, please don't give up. Come to the truth, come to the light, and begin the journey and begin to learn and just say, God, okay, I don't know it all, I don't understand it all, but here I am, a willing vessel. Teach me, show me, I'm going to give myself over to this. Let me tell you, if they told you, if you were working a job and a doctor said, you know, I want you here for the next three weeks, let me tell you, I don't care what you did about your job, you'd be in the hospital for three weeks. Well, some of you need to understand, God may be, in the same, be saying the same thing to you about your life when it comes to this. You need to come to this hospital. You need to come to the Word of God, maybe take three weeks off and just go baptize yourself, immerse yourself in nothing but God. 
which is kind of what some of you are doing even here this week. But I mean, really do it and just be, immerse yourself in it and say, God, like the other one said, I'm not coming out. I won't let go till you bless me. I mean, I'm here. You know, I'm holding on. I refuse. And I mean, there's just an indignation that comes up in you and you just, man, I mean, and God smiles when you get like that. He just, this big smile, because he's your father. And he goes, come on, that's it. You can do this. That's it. Come on, let's break through this thing. And he just begins to smile. The father has no greater joy than to hear when you walk in truth. Oh, it delights his heart. Like I said, something about this stuff enters into you and you begin to get aggressive, not at God, against deceit and against what, not, what does not have the right to come at you. I got extremely hurry here. The word must be wixed. wixed. The word must be mixed with faith. The word means to be combined, tempered with. Rotherham's translation says, but the word that was heard did not profit them, they not having been blended by faith with the things heard. So again, hear that. The same word came to people. The same word helped some, benefited some, didn't benefit others. The issue is, was it the word's fault? Yeah. No. See, the issue is always in the receiver. Because God's no respecter of persons. Please hear that. God's no respecter of persons. The problem's not in the word. The problem's in our ability to receive. This is why you have to train yourself to hear and teach yourself how to receive. And you can learn. James 1.17, well, okay. God's word is the same today. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 89.34, my covenant will I not break nor alter that which comes from my lips. God's word never changes. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Deuteronomy, there's no variable shadow and turning in him, it says. Deuteronomy 32, 4, he is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are law and justice, a God of faithfulness without breach or deviation, just and right as he. I'm just trying to read as fast as I can before we shut. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was there before God spoke to man. It was settled before it came to earth. It was settled, the Word of God was settled before it came to anyone's denomination. No Word of God is of any private interpretation. It's for whosoever will. Somebody say, praise God for that verse, whosoever will. Here's why some do, why some don't believe, why some will, why some won't. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Was there a difference in the gospel that was preached to them? No. no. It was the same word preached to both. Jesus Christ did not change or alter his teachings depending upon what church he went to. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3, he said, Paul said, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent, this is a heck of a place for me to have to stop. This really bothers me. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent, as the serpent beguiled Eve, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. There is another gospel that isn't the gospel. He never changed his doctrine, his phraseology, his creed. The same word was preached. The difference wasn't in the word preached, but how it was heard to receive. Remember always hearing about, well, you know what they say? You'll stop paying attention to what they say when you find out who they are. They are them. These are they, here in Hebrews 4, 2, the ones who don't profit from the word of God, the ones who say it passed away, it's not for today, etc. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but God said my word will never pass away. They don't mix it with faith. They believe it's God's will to save everybody, but they don't believe it's God's will to heal everybody or prosper everybody. And Jesus answered that question to, for them in Mark 2, verse 3 through 12, which I don't have time to go to. But let me say real quick about that. I've got two minutes to preach an hour and a half thingy. I'm afraid for you that just like your minds, just like Eve was beguiled by the subtlety of Satan, that your mind should be corrupted away from the simplicity. The word subtlety is an awesome word to study. Greek word is panorgoria, P-A-N-O-U-R-G-I-E. It means sophistry. Does anybody know what sophistry is? Sophistry is incredible. It says Satan works through subtlety. The word is, is panorgoria. It means the all working of Satan. But it speaks to this, if you look it up, the art of sophistry. You know what sophistry is when you look it up in a dictionary? The art of argument or debate without no end in sight. The art of argument or debate without any real end in sight. In other words, so what Satan's a great thing? Let's just get you and I into debate and argument so we talk for so long that we never believe. Let's debate, let's talk. Satan 
will becloud your mind with debate and argument, and this is so much more. But unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. So this is a heck of a place to stop. But please, I want you to be encouraged. God is no respecter of persons. Whether in a storm or out of the storm is not the issue. But don't ever deny that God isn't loving towards you. And no matter what happens to you, see, just remember, God loves you. And, and like I said in the beginning, you know, if you never get healed, God's love for you remains the same. <clears throat> You're still going to heaven. In other words, if you, don't, if you don't get healed on this side of heaven, trust me, you'll get healed when you hit it. <laughs> and don't let anybody make you feel bad about it. But I'm saying, you see, on this side, the reason God wants us to go for all that we can go is because he still wants our life to be a testimony for those. Everything, as I said the other day, everything about what God's done in Christ is to reach the lost. So sometimes healing becomes an idol for people. If they don't, you know, it's like, I want to be healed so I can tell everybody I'm spiritual. Well, anyhow, for unto us, as well as unto them, was the word preached. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. All I can tell you is submit to you this truth of God's word. The word of God will profit whosoever will receive it. We're all at different levels of faith. It doesn't mean you're more spiritual or less spiritual. It just means it's available. Let's just get hungry. Let's study and see what God does. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your life. We thank you for all that you produced when you sent this man named Jesus. There's a lot to learn, Lord, but you know what? Hallelujah, it's there to learn. It's there to learn, and we've got time to learn it, so we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.